When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as uh, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Hello and welcome to this episode of the Manchester is Red podcast. My name is Stephen Rilston. I'm your host today and we're recording on a Friday afternoon, a couple of days after Manchester United lost against Copenhagen 4-3 out in Denmark. And I'm joined today for this episode by my colleague Samuel Luckhurst, and Rich Fay. I'll begin with Samuel because he was, of course, out in Denmark. That's only only fair, I think. Rich, how are you, Samuel? To begin with, I'm I'm well, thank you. Yeah, it's a lovely city, uh, lovely European trip. As often, the the football is the is the great inconvenience of it, and it was it, it, it was a it was a nightmare match to to write. It, at 40 minutes, I was thinking this is great. United are playing really well. This this should be pretty easy, and then. It was seesawing, and unfortunately for United, it, it ended um, in, the, in the worst way possible with a defeat. I mean, I must say, I think he did very well because your match report came out pretty quickly after the final whistle. Considering, as long cons- as it was, as long as it was coherent and, 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 and you know grammatically sound. To be fair, you probably drafted before the match United lose again, didn't you? I, I didn't. No, no, no. I mean, sometimes it's it's becoming quite easy at the moment because there's always a banner in in the stand, and that's always quite a good good colour. It's it's good, good colour, and it can make for for a decent intro. Um, and I was trying not to be too 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 cliched with it, but in in the end, it it worked out quite well in terms of the the, the writing of it, but. I think we all agreed in the press room afterwards it was a terrible game to cover because the other problem we have is that in, in European grounds, for whatever reason, whether it's the Allianz Arena or the Parkin Stadium, there are not monitors. And I, I actually thought during the game of you know people at home uh, just watching the lounge where it's warm and they've He's got trying a cup to have a dig at me and you there, Rich. <laughs> and I think he's trying to say we're the lucky you, ones. You know, what's, you know what's going on, the people at the game... I did send you a few messages after a few incidents because it is hard when you're at the match. I know. And it's it's going so fast. But that's the the essence of going to the football used to be that you know someone would say someone went to a football game and they came back from it and they went into the pub and people who hadn't been to the game they'd be asking them oh what happened and it's the other way around now someone who's been to the game will come into the pub and ask people who've been watching it on a telly what the hell happened with that red card or that disallowed goal because the people are none the wiser so. 
that really didn't help. Um, and I think Simon Peach flagged that on the team sheet, the way they'd um, that they'd put the wrong name of the referee, uh, like it was the, the team sheet was a little bit all over the place. Apparently, as as far as the officials were concerned, so uh, suddenly we were worried that maybe we were. Uh, directing possible death threats to the wrong referee if uh, they were they were indeed coming in from Manchester United fans, but I, I suspect they weren't. Well, what have UEFA and Rich PLC got on Coven Rich? Do I, Both do I, uh, messy organisations. Messy, messy, messy. organisations. Uh, how are you? Uh, yeah, decent. As decent as I can be, I suppose, this week. But yeah, like someone said, it was a, a bizarre game to, to cover, wasn't it, uh, on Wednesday night? A really difficult one that to and fro from side to side and I suppose that also makes analysing it a bit tricky because there will be a huge majority of United fans I think who will take positives like Ten Hag has from, from the performance but ultimately they've lost again and their Champions League hopes are dangling by a thread so I suppose it's whether you're a glass half empty or half full sort of supporter this week. It was a very weird performance in that regard Sario because I mean for the opening 40 minutes they were excellent it was the best they've played all season I was thinking who's this team what have they done with Manchester United uh, two goals up, the game changes as soon as the red card happens. We'll get into that in a second. But that that forty minutes was was excellent, wasn't it? The the first goal was terrific. I didn't with that. That was so good. I didn't need a replay to appreciate it. Unfortunately, I was just yeah, at the start of the game. If your head's buried in a laptop, then there's there's something wrong with you. Really, you, obviously, we we contribute to the blogs every now and then, but you pick and choose your moments and everyone hit their cues with that goal. It was such a beautifully worked goal going from left to right, quickening the play here and there. Good poachers finished by Hoyland. And uh, the, the, the Parkin Stadium, although it is atmospheric, I don't think any of us described it or build it as hostile going into the game because it's not it's not known as not known for that really. And it certainly wasn't a hostile crowd to, to play in front of. And uh, Jakob Niestrup, the, the Copenhagen coach, said afterwards, that of the four Champions League performances they've had this season, it was their weakest. Um, and you know that, that, that just goes to show you how, one, how well United play, but also how galling it must have been. And it clearly was, you saw it etched on their faces, that, that they lost the game. Because even in the second half, for the majority of it, they managed it very well. They regained the lead. Their, their game management was good in places. There was a moment where Garnacho won a foul and Maguire was telling him to stay down. And I thought, well, this is maturity on Garnacho's part. It's, it's you know, maturity on United's part, having looked you know, a mess for most of the season. But a theme of their Champions League campaign this season has been in every defeat, there have been these goal gluts. Bayern Munich, I think, got two in four minutes. Galatasaray got two in, in 10 minutes. Copenhagen in each half the other night. The, the the first two goals were in nine minutes, and the second, um, the, the second, sorry, the third and the fourth goal. It's happened in the prem, It's happened in the Premier League as well. That's the thing, hasn't it? This yeah, like they will, quick they'll score quickly and then they will concede. And of course, as yeah, it was an eighty-third minute goal and an eighty-seventh minute goal. And when that's happening, it's 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 it, there's there's a reason for it. You can't just dismiss it. And unfortunately, this team is is just so mentally fragile and. I'm not picking on him again. I'm, I'm sure people might have listened to the podcast the other week, but you look at that that third goal and Dallow four days earlier is in the same position with Harry Wilson. He gets the challenge in and then he celebrates it on his Instagram account. And of course, he's put in the same position again. He dozes and it's an equaliser. And Hoyland went ballistic and he didn't go ballistic at just United conceding. He went ballistic specifically at Dallow. And you can understand it because he scored five goals for United and every time he scored for them, he's lost. 
Um, and I didn't necessarily agree with taking Hoyland off at that, that time as well, especially as Mason Mount came on and the, the question, what does Mason Mount do? You know, people are asking it again, having watched that. But it, it, was, a, it was an unusual defeat for United in that the, for the majority of it, they, they did play well. But the, the bigger picture is that they're bottom of their group after four games and they've lost more games than they've won this season. I mean, even in that second half, Rich, to come out with a, and see a man down, but you couldn't really tell. Copenhagen didn't assert like I thought they would. United were passing the ball around well. They looked quite confident and they were threatening on the counter-attack and you probably thought with the pace of Hoyland and Ganacho, they were definitely capable of getting a result. They get the penalty just after the hour mark with Bruno Fernandes well taken and you think the result's on here. And as Samuel said, we see it time and time again where they're conceding quick succession in at elite level, that's just not good enough. You can't do that. Dallow was caught sleeping for the third. We'll get onto Rafael Varane for the fourth because I don't know what he was doing for that fourth goal. Um, but it was just a mess those final 10 minutes of the game, wasn't it? Yeah, and you know there is almost this kind of quirk in football where going down to 10 men can almost just make your game plan simpler because United don't have an onus on them to try attack them. They can play to their strengths, which is being a counter-attacking team. We saw that in Copenhagen. The United's best chances came when they broke. It was either building up from the back or the second goal where they win it high up. And that's a high press and then they, they attack really lethal, quick interchanges there. And, you know, when you go down to 10 men, you know, the second half, like I said, I think they're they really good. I, I do think that the way they finished the first half, they just lost their heads a little bit. It was leadership on, on the pitch there. I got absolutely hammered on social media for saying they didn't have game good man game management. management. But I think in the closing stage of the first half, that really cost them. They got rattled and they let it affect them. I mean, you look... 13 months earlier, Man City went to Copenhagen. Sergio Gomez got sent off after half an hour. They drew the game nil-nil because game management. I think after the break, you know, they were brilliant at that. They really were. But once again, it was individual errors. And that has been such a key issue all season. And these players who used to be reliable simply are just making unacceptable mistakes. And you might look at the injury record and that's a contributing factor to Dallow because he wouldn't be playing left-back if they had a choice. It would be Luke Shaw or Malassia. He's third at best, really, there. Maybe in Regulon will go ahead of him this weekend. Who knows in terms of the pecking order? So there's there are certain players who are in unfortunate positions, but fundamentally, whether you look at the, the injury record, you look at, you know, summer signs not bedding in properly, United just haven't been good enough in key moments so far this season. And like you said, that's what that's what cost them in the end on, on Wednesday night. Because for you to lose a player that early on, you know, you, you, you can point the 10 men all you want, but United still did regain the lead in that game. So the 10 men wasn't a problem when United weren't free to up, you know, and Garnacho was at McTominay shushing the home crowd. You know, that was the siege mentality that United need to embrace, really. And I think Wednesday night for me just proved that United do need to play to their strengths. Ten Hag might have this idea of how he wants his team to play. The injury situation has affected that. They can't get the momentum, the consistency and the confidence to actually implement that style of play. I think I read as well he's had 11 different back four combinations in the last 16 matches. That is ridiculous. You can see why United's results have been so inconsistent and have not been able to build that momentum. So before you can do that, you just need to play to your strengths. And that is United playing on the counter-attack. And ultimately, like you said, the issue I think on, on Wednesday night was just those key errors right at the end. And it just begs the question where United go next because... Obviously, we'll hopefully get an update on Evans at the press conference on Friday, but he is well ahead of Rafa Varane now in the pecking order. And if Varane's fit to play against Luton, do you actually start him after after what we've seen? Because every time a team sheet drops, you keep on saying, why the hell's Varane on the bench? And then you watch him play. 
That's why he's on the bench. He's just fundamentally not been good enough. And it's the same with Casemiro being out injured now. People saying, oh, when he comes back in, he'll be brilliant. He was pretty poor against Newcastle. And then he goes off a hamstring injury. These players just fundamentally haven't been good enough at the end of the day. And you could point at other factors at the club, but it's individual error letting United down time and time again. I was going to discuss Varane a bit more in the second part, but we might as well just go for it now. Obviously, it's a natural segue. Um, as Rich said, incredibly poor. We all kind of questioned when we and Tyrone did actually on the last podcast why he'd been starting over Johnny Evans. But of course, Tenard likes Maguire on the right and a different player on the left. He doesn't like playing Varane on that side, on the left side. Um, so in that regard, it kind of made sense why he wasn't playing, but I suspected there was something going on. Um, me personally... But as Ty suggested, his form has just not been that good when he's played this season. He's, dare I say, signs of decline, Samuel. I mean, that fourth goal, when he kind of kicks it up, he takes a heavy touch, he looks to panic, and it eventually leads to the Copenhagen goal. That was really, really poor. It, it was so inelegant, and he was doing that in the first half as well. I mean, it's, it's, it's quite a nuanced situation with Ferran because when you look at how often he's started over the last five and a bit weeks, he started one game. If someone has started one game, they're not going to be, they're not going to be at their optimum coming into the team. And I think Ten Hag has to take, he has to be held accountable for that because however decent Johnny Evans has looked in games, he did get rinsed by Manchester City. He is a 35 year old. He also did have injury issues last season. And this was the first time that um, he played in back-to-back matches within four and four days to each other uh, four days between each other I think he played in back-to-back games against Brentford and Sheffield United but of course there was a two-week break there this is the first time he's he's come he's kept his place essentially without a break and of course he pulls up within 15 minutes is anybody surprised by that no because I think this the, the suspicion all along when Evans was getting these starts was that he can start one game a week because he's 35, because he had injuries last season, because he's had a long career. With Varane, there's another centre-half who everyone suspects can only start one game a week. And United have been trying to frame his his omissions or his bench roles as, oh no, he's not injured. When he wasn't in the squad against Brentford, they said he's not injured, he just needed a couple more days rest. And you think, okay, I mean, they got they got beaten in midweek by, by Galatasaray and that was on Tuesday, this is Saturday. Um, and there's an international break and he doesn't play international football anymore. The international break happens, Sheffield United's away, where's Rafael Varane? He's on the bench. So immediately people are starting to think, this this is beyond suspicious, this. Uh, Fulham at the weekend last week, that was a hugely important game for United and it's Evans and Maguire. And it's framed as, oh, we want him to be absolutely, uh, you know, he, the big game coming up against Copenhagen, he needs to be, his optimum needs to be really ready for that. And I'm thinking, okay, well, he's not been injured recently. He's, he's been unwell, but still, okay, all right, we're, we're dubious of it. And then, of course, we go to Copenhagen, it's Evans and Maguire, and you think, okay, whatever you say now, we're not going to believe you. We would barely believe in you in the first place. And I, I still go back to Ten Hag's, Explanation. I, I I asked him after the City game, why did you like essentially why did you play Johnny Evans over Rafael Varane? And his outlook on it is that Maguire is a right-sided centre half and he's playing quite well, so he deserves to be in on merit. And his competitor on the right side of defence is Varane, so one of them can only play. Maguire's the inform. It's Maguire, Evans, who started his. Uh, I think started his national international career in Northern Ireland as a left back, and he's got a left peg on him. 
uh, and he also played left back a handful of times for United. So he's more suited to playing in that role than any other available centre back because Lindelof's right footed, Varane's right footed. There's no Luke Shaw um, to step in, and of course, Lissandra Martinez is injured as well. So that's why I, I think Ten Hag, in a very, it's a very Dutch way of looking at it, of like the Louis van Gaal, got to have a right footer, got to have a left footer, got to be completely balanced. It is, of course, undermined by then having Diogo Dallo at left back, who is a right footer. And they've got an available left back in Sergio Reguilón, who was also one of Ten Hag's signings in the transfer window. And I get that that was very late in the day. It was an emergency loan, effectively, because Luke Shaw um, did, did his hamstring. And really, Ten Hag's selection policy with Reguilón at the moment would indicate that he will be dumped back at Tottenham in January because they have that break clause. And if Malassia and Shaw are fit... I don't see how they keep hold of Reguilón because at the moment Ten Hag has, well, not at the moment, he's he's played Lindelof at left-back ahead of him and he's played Dallow at left-back ahead of him. So that would be the one area of the whole Varane um, handling that you would say completely undermines it because if you're so fixated on having left-footers on, on that side, then you've got to play Reguilón. But he hasn't been the last two games. He's played Dallow there. Um and, yeah, look, Varane, during his time at United, he's been brittle, and maybe Ten Hag's got to the point now, I can't, I can't count on him. But, again, there's a counterpoint to it. You can't turn to Johnny Evans and expect him to be robust because he isn't. He had a lot of injury issues last season at Leicester, and there was a reason why Leicester were happy. Um, you know, not, not happy necessarily, but everyone knew that his, he was coming to the end of his contract and he wasn't going to get a new contract there. And as, as well as United playing the first 40 minutes, when I looked at that team the other night and I counted, like, I, th I think I wrote it in the blog, that six managers, uh, I think, of the starting 11, they'd made their first appearance under six managers, going from Ferguson to Ten Hag. That's unsustainable. And a central defensive partnership of Evans and Maguire is also unsustainable. Uh, you know, okay, Evans was came off after 15 minutes the other night, but it's not a defensive record where you look at it and say that's a compelling case to to continue with them, and you can't continue with them just just because of um, the limitations there. And uh, I, 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 there there are times with with Ten Hag and his selection strategy, and I do think okay, you know, Varane the other night he was appalling. He was United's worst player, and the, the, you know, the accountability mainly has to be with the player, but he's been chronically underplayed in recent weeks and that has had a major major bearing not just on his performance but of course that result because it was his slice store hat clearance his his panicky uh, hit that that led to the fourth goal i guess tenog's putting his tactical principles over personnel but to do it to this extent um to play evans over Iran, i know samuel said there's reasons etc are you surprised at it i mean would any other manager in the Premier League stick by the principles that much? Because um, it seems quite extreme, um, especially considering Evans' injury record, etc. Yeah, I think there comes a time where the ends justify the means and you've got to almost, like I say, put these, these stylistic plans on hold. Because right now, what's more important for United? Playing attractive football and losing or playing ugly football and winning? You've just got to get the results because, like I said, to, to implement a style of play... Ten Hag fundamentally needs to have his best 11 or close to it available. Of course, having your best 11 every week is just not sustainable. That just doesn't happen in football. Every manager has to play about the, the preferred 11. It's very rare you get them all on the pitch at the same time. But United, you know, the injury situation has certainly been, been a factor in all that. 
but what needs to happen now is Ten Hag wants consistency. Like we said, the chopping and changing of personnel is unsustainable. So he needs to he needs to get a core nucleus of about seven or eight players. And I know he said prior to the game he wants about thirty. Was it 12, 12 or 13, 12, 13 players? Yeah who are predominantly playing every single game coming on from the bench or whatever. I mean, starting with 13 players would probably help United right now. It's probably the only way of turning things around. But, you, you know, they need to have that stability. So from one point of view, you can understand why he's sticking with people like Maguire, people like McTominay, because you know what you're going to get as much as you know what you're not going to get from them. But they are consistent and you know exactly what you will get from them. You're not surprised when you see McTominay struggle as a defensive midfielder and then he makes a good darting run into the box. That is what he does. No surprise there. So for United to build this sort of momentum up, a bit of it will allow injured players returning, international break come at a good time for that. But they fundamentally just need to start winning games, start getting their confidence back, get a bit of consistency. And then once the confidence is there, you've got some players back who are available again. You could start working on the, the style of play again. But right now, when you're already struggling for form and momentum, you can't be asking these players to do much more than than what they're doing already. They've just got to be trying and to win matches. We saw that last season after the opening two defeats against Brighton and Brentford. Yeah, when Tenag went to a pragmatic style, they won four in the trot, Liverpool, Arsenal, etc. big games. And it was more counter-attack and pragmatic, yeah. but it worked, didn't it? Yeah, and that's what I said about on Wednesday night as well. United's best football, like I said, they controlled the game a lot better and you can probably merge the two styles where you're more comfortable in your own half. But when you go across that halfway line, you're still so poor at breaking teams down and... They still really do struggle because Fernandez, you know, he is just he's a risk taker, which who almost contradicts Ten Hag's whole style of play. Ericsson, he, I mean, the irony is United basically replaced Juan Mata and, and Matt Matic with Casemiro and Ericsson, who are doing exactly the same roles, who are both on the decline at the moment and have certain matches where they look excellent and certain matches where they're getting exposed at the moment, and you know. You can't really break down teams with the plays that have available right now. So they've just got to play to their strengths. Hoyland has a lot of work to do to be a proper hold-up striker, but he's amazing when he makes those runs into the box. Garnacho, Rashford, the same. They're these wingers who, okay, they, they don't track back enough. They, they're not that good at sort of holding the play up and, and bringing others into play. But what they're good at is running at defenders, cutting inside, having a shot at goal. So, like I said, I think right now, United are looking for a long-term fix, but they need a short-term one. And that is, you know, they spent 400 million, but they need to play like they into Solskjaer, basically, because that is the, the only way for them to sort of tread water for now, get the players back, and then they can think again about trying to play closer to how Ten Hag wants them to do. Because it's just delusional to try and make that team play his style of football because they, they fundamentally can't do it. You can kill the man, but you can't kill the idea, can you, Richard? If uh, Oli Gunnar Solskjaer and his tactics. Uh, we'll be back in the room for part two. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not and, uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Welcome back to part two of the Manchester is Red podcast. Now we're the big part of the game, and we kind of alluded to it in the first part, was the red card, Samuel. So do you really want to get stuck into that? Because it we, was... We can be succinct. It was, it was incredibly controversial. I mean, Rashford, there was no 
Um, he wasn't being malicious in the tackle. He was looking to protect the ball. It happens at five-a-side every week, as you well know, um, with my challenges next to you. Um, and look, it's obviously split opinion. Understandably, United fans were raging on lying at the decision, especially when, I think it was the Europa League last night, uh, it was real sausage that were playing. Uh, identical yeah, challenge comes in battery. and it was it, but it's a yellow card but I think that's what that's what's so annoying because there's no consistency I think with with that one last night it was more on the guy's foot than his than his shin um, I, I, I understood why it was a, a red card because if you go studs up especially in your way for competition you are you're, you're treading a fine fine line there. Um, that's that's how officious they can be. And that that referee the other night, I thought he was out of his depth. Uh, he, he he was officious. The the problem I had with it was the VAR process. One, the big screen said check over or check complete, um, and then all of a sudden the referee is indicating that he's going to the monitor. So it clearly wasn't check over. So already there's a communication cock up there. And um, it was only later that when I, someone sent me a, a link uh, that was clearly taken for, from a stream, and I've, I've no shame in admitting that because there were no monitors provided, but it showed how what, what the referee saw. And of course, there was slow-mo and there was freeze-framing. VAR purports to be an objective system, and I've said this before, I know, but it is applied far too subjectively. I mean, last week we had this nonsense of a subjective offside. And it's getting to the point now where these robots in their booths are looking at something and they're thinking, is there a way we can disallow this goal? Is there a way we can get this guy sent off? And as, as Ten Hag said afterwards, that's not what football should be about. Um, so if, if the referee had given him a red card straight away, I, I'd, have, I'd have understood that. And it, it, was, it was difficult to see. I mean, I don't think anybody saw, you know, saw it clearly at the time and thought, oh, that's definitely a red card. You thought maybe there was a coming together or an accidental, maybe Rashford trod on him or, or what have you. Um, but we saw with Casemiro last season when he got sent off against Southampton that if, if you raise your studs and it's catching an opponent's shin, chances are you're in trouble. You're leaving yourself open to yeah. that. Yeah, and, and if that had happened moment. against United, uh, I imagine that these United fans who, uh, you know, don't tire of complaining about referees, which is, is remarkable, because as, as, as useless as the referees are, it is tedious fans just complaining about referees because it's what about who this, what about who that. Ultimately, you, you're not going to get yourself anywhere with it because the officials are so bad that they don't apply the law consistently. And I suppose that would be my other area where you have some sympathy for Rashford. When, and it, I haven't said that, it's been going on for so long. When you play in European competition, laws are applied very, very differently. It feels like the handball law in Champions League games is like the definition of it is just redrafted compared to the Premier League. It's really a struggle to keep up with that. And Ten Hag said that afterwards. He said he didn't think it should have been a penalty against United. The one where they could feel absolutely hard done by was Copenhagen's first goal, which was offside. There was someone in an offside position in Anana's eye line. And it was at Kaiseid who had a goal disallowed at Tottenham on Monday night for an offside that I thought was a lot more tenuous um, than the Copenhagen goal. And it was it was chalked off for, for Chelsea. Um, so, yeah, the, the referee was not good. I mean, Maguire got um, penalised for that, for a foul at the end when he hit the crossbar, which was, was, was a non-foul. Imagine if that had gone in. And, and also, and, uh, exactly, because the, the, the idiot referee had blown his whistle. 
So if it had gone in, they wouldn't have been able to give the goal retrospectively because the, the clown had, had blown far too early and Maguire somehow got booked for it. I, I assume possibly because he was telling the referee that he, he was doing a crap job or something like that rather than the foul. I'd, I'd, I'd like to think it was more for dissent than the actual the actual foul. And I suppose the other aspect of the Rashford decision that w was really opaque was that on UEFA's website, they s suggested he'd been sent off for, for his arm You think that was opponent. just more human error, wouldn't you? I mean, yeah. even more human error, that's the uh, problem. On, on, on the blogger's part, yeah. I mean, you'd, you'd never make a, a <laughs> an error like that, Stephen. I, I'd like to think I never did in my uh, my live blogging days either. But uh, yeah, as I said, with all this going on, it, it was not great not having any replays available. But I, 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 I still think the referee did, If they went about it in the wrong way, but they, they made the right call in that I, I do think it was a, a red card, but the whole process of VAR leading to it, I thought was, was shambolic. I think we'll move on then, Rich, because yeah. we don't want to make this say, a referee yeah. podcast, but you can, I'll give you 10 yeah. seconds. No, what I was also going to say on that is, I also, it's, it's a huge, huge factor in the game, but I don't think you can just point that and say that's the reason United lost, because they retake the lead. You know, like I said, that they, they turn into a mess for 10 minutes. And Copenhagen get, yeah, first goal shouldn't have been a goal. I think the penalty, again, as Samuel said, you wait for competition, it's happened. You know, you can't, I think the penalty is not as much as a controversial call as the red card is. And, you know, I think it's either both penalties are given or not, neither of those penalties are given on Wednesday night. So what do you want? You either, get, you either both don't get a goal or you both do get a goal. It doesn't affect the result in, in the end. And like we said, United retake the lead in the second half and then it's individual errors that cost them. So as much as the Rashford fat red card changed the momentum and swung it back and gave Copenhagen a lift and that belief again, United still contributed to their own downfall. Completely. It's just a shame because that opening 40 minutes was so promising. Yeah. It, it oh, was. If, if he hadn't have got sent off, they would not have would lost have that game. Have won. They'd, yeah. have, they'd have, like, I mean, Ten Hag even kind of like chuckled at it afterwards when a Danish journalist said, do you think the result was unfair? And he said, you know, did, did you see us in the first 25 minutes? He's been minutes? doing that a few times, actually. I've noticed the last That's two games. He's been yeah. laughing at questions, just yeah. a little Dutch uh, raise a smile. Um, we'll, we'll focus in a bit more on Ten Hag then, which if we look at that bench, Sofian Amrabat, Mason Mount, Anthony, Sergio Reguilón, all Tenog signings, obviously Anthony was signed last summer, three of them were signed this summer. It's been a bit of a mess, the recruitment, hasn't it? I keep using that word this season, mess. Um, yeah, but I mean, you look at, you talk about Harry Maguire starting, McTominay starting, Tenog wanted to get rid of those players. He's using players that he didn't want. West Ham were looking to, to sign them both. And you look and at that they would have both been allowed to leave if, if big enough offers had come in for them this summer. United were prepared to, to move on from them and get more players in Tenog's mould. And that's what annoys me so much is that even when you watch the game on Wednesday night, you say, God, that's why United need a new centre-back. Where is the evidence that United will go out and buy a centre-back who will be good enough straight away and improve that defence? I know you point to Lissandro Martinez, but do you want a right-sided version of him as well in that United back line or not? Because I, I don't see that happening or functioning too well. And like you said, that's the hypocrisy of United at the moment. And it, again, sort of, plays into the earlier message about them needing to, to change their style of play because Ten Hag's bought these players who he wanted to be integral to how his team would play going forward, but they can't even get on the pitch now. So you are playing Solskjaer's players and you're playing Solskjaer's football, but you spent £400 million. And what is so bizarre about it all is, like we said, you look at Wednesday night, you look at all these things, you can always point at someone else for, that's why we're not doing well. That went against us. Error there, error there, error there. You spent £400 million on players who are not getting on, most of them aren't getting on the pitch. Yes, you can look at injuries or whatever, but ultimately, performances haven't been good enough and Ten Hag's players haven't been good enough. The transfer hit rate has been close to abysmal, really. You look at Anthony, I know we're going about him every week. 
He probably is United's worst ever signing right now. He's in line to be it because what has he done? The right wing issue is still a bigger problem as it always was before he signed. And like I said, Martinez is someone we're, we're clinging on to, but Casemiro, his stock has fallen massively. Well, it's funny how not quick even, well, uh, football changes because at the end of last season, we were looking at the signings yeah, thinking it was brilliant. Yeah. But he spent even more money in the summer. And, and, it's, and they're even less certain to have the squad. I mean, Casemiro has been ruled out till Christmas. And even with Casemiro ruled out, the Casemiro alternative they signed is on the bench. And it's Scott McTominay there again, who we know can't play defensive midfield. But Amrabat's awful, Samuel. I mean, we've, it just, just say it how it is. He, he, there was a clip of him coming on, a few of the touches that he was receiving the ball, kind of fumbling it. The one in. that stands out is when the ball was pulled back to him and he just straight away like, prodded it into the area without having a look who was there, just hoping it would go near anyone and it didn't go any, near anyone I mean it's it's great for us in a way because you have these these cranks on Twitter like yeah sign this guy sign Alex Tellers sign Donny van der Beek sign Sofiane Amrabat they haven't got a clue about them and and we don't profess to watch them on a weekly basis but I did think it w might not be a good idea signing someone from Serie A which is a Premier League dumping ground teaming with Premier League rejects you look at his pedigree you look at his CV you look what he's achieved it doesn't, you watch him a what few times and you he tackled exactly. Mbappe so yeah. did Twanzebe and you make your own calculations from there but there's a lot of people on social media a kind of a hipster community who look at the analytics and they like to suggest but because he tackled Mbappe at the World Cup and he's got a few good stats that he's the answer yeah and in fairness to going back to it there were some people at United who were like raising red flags saying probably shouldn't be going for him but ten, eventually Ten Hag got his way and that that's the flaw of the structure at the club and a manager's not going to get it right every time with a choice of player he goes for I mean Ferguson didn't United's recruitment hit rate if you're talking about the last 10 years it goes way back beyond them it goes back to to Ferguson's um, last years at the club it, it, there weren't too many outright successes uh, on, on his watch there. There, there, was the, there was the old gem, of course, like, like Javier Hernandez, but for every Javier Hernandez, there was a Bebe, and as good a player as Antonio Valencia was in the same summer, they signed Gabriel Oberton. Um, and I, can't, I can't be taking Gabriel Oberton <laughs> criticism, Samuel. What, what a player. Uh, Ronaldo's uh, replacement. Anderson has this cult following among United players because he was an, ex, you know, he was an extremely successful player for the club. He was not a good player for the club. Uh, he was he was overweight from from start to finish, and he was probably overhyped as well. But by virtue of his association with success and a couple of key moments um, he was involved in along the way and some good spells of form, he's remembered extremely fondly, having you know, played under under Ferguson as well. Um, so, I mean, the, the Reguilón thing, as I said earlier, like if you're signing a left back, at least you know, have the intent to to play him and have that balance. And look, with Reggie on, we all know about his limitations. And he was another player United Twitter was banging on about a few years ago with Tellers about why they should sign him. And really at that time, they didn't actually need a left back. Shaw was playing well. Brandon Williams had come in and had done well. And signing Tellers, I'm, I'm not saying that Brandon Williams would have gone on and been brilliant for United, but that did pretty much kill Brandon Williams's United career. And again, You've got Alvaro Fernandez. Why not just give him a chance? He's out there. In well, I, I half thought that as well yeah. um, because Reguilón can't. Like, I mean, he's he's decent going forward. He can't defend. There's a reason why um, he's he's top. Can't make it a Tottenham. Though. Yeah, he's he's Tottenham's third choice left back, and uh, they were more than happy to to get him off the books until until January at the least, even. So, um, you know, if if United want to you know, moan about dealing with Daniel Levy, it seems like they had quite an easy dealing with Daniel Levy over 
um, over, over getting Reggie on in. Uh, Mason Mount, I, I, I don't know why United signed him. Um, I, I thought it was very dubious at the time. And if you're not even playing him in a game where you need some composure, or you need some wiliness, this is someone who's won the Champions League as well. Uh, you, you have to question why, why on earth did they sign he, him? Was, did he come on as a false nine? I think Tenog actually played him through the middle uh, when he when he came on. The I mean, Sancho huh? role for pre-season, God. yeah. I mean, but that, Sa- that's Samuel messaged me a few weeks ago and uh, about your Mason Mount comments and I said, look, I think it's a bit too early. I think he's still got time to turn it around. But I mean, as time goes on, Samuel's looking more right and I'm looking <laughs> more wrong, I'm afraid to say. He's got time to, to turn it around, but he needs a fixed position and he's to be playing every week. And the fact that he's not even getting into this motley crew midfield just says says it all doesn't it I mean again Ten Hag has signed someone and doesn't know how to use him but that, that, what, that's why Ten Hag's power in regard to transfers needs to be revoked we've talked about it at length on this podcast the, the mess that transfers is um, obviously John Murder is the football director but Ten Hag has a lot of influence and um, that squad is his squad he's got so many of his own signings that he pushed for I mean when Ratcliffe comes in if he does this minority stake that looks set to be complete in the next week or so that's something he has to do, Rich. He has to sort that out because it's not working at the moment and it hasn't worked over the last 10 years or so with, with the managers coming in, telling the, the board who they want. It, there needs to be a structure above the manager telling them, right, this is who you're going to sign. This is our principles and this is the philosophy is going to be aligned really. Yeah, I think it's one of those sort of, uh, sort of plans where there's got to be input from Ten Hag and like you said, he, he yeah. should be able to say, look, I want this sort of player of course, I, I, of course I want but you players. can't have everything yeah, you want exactly yeah. but he should go he should go look at next summer if he's still in charge he should go to the board and say look I want a right sided centre back who can play up from the back because that's what I want from my, my defender go get me a short list of players and they will say look these are the you fr- can't have any Dutch ones yeah, okay yeah. you've had enough and no yeah. one from the Eredivisie yeah do you know them right we're not signing them so here's three players um, this is our first choice would you be happy if we signed him yeah this is our second choice. We'll be happy we signed him here. Third choice? No, I, I wouldn't want him on my team. Okay, we won't, we'll bin him off then. Yeah. We'll go for these two. But that, that's common sense, and isn't that's, it? And, that's our, and this is how much money we'll pay. If they want more than that, we will walk away because we do not think they're worth more than that. And we will park it for another six months, but it'll be on us. It won't be on you, Eric. It'll be on us if that doesn't happen. And that's the way it should be. It should be... It's just so disjointed at the moment where for a long time you didn't know who was making the decisions. Now you can tell that Ten Hag's influence has, has gone way too much to the other side. I'm not saying take all the power from him, let him have some input, but it just needs to be a more open conversation and they need to have stricter sort of self-restraint from the start of it. You look at, here we go again, you look at Anthony. It, it gets sort of takes back to the Moyes signing of Fellaini. It's like, this is the price we will pay. If we don't have signed by this date, we move on. In both instances, they've gone back and paid more for the player than they were originally going to anyway. You just need to have more, just stricter regulations really and, and impose it on yourself because United will only be taken seriously in the transfer market when they start acting seriously anyway. And, you know, their, their reputation in the transfer market is, is justified because you only have to look at it from the outside and you don't have to have much knowledge of, of what goes in behind the scenes to realise that United are a laughing stock and teams always try and milk them for more money and invariably they get that money. It's Groundhog Day on this podcast as usual. I think we've had the same conversations over the last three years or so. Um, I mean, Sergio Ratcliffe called the Fred investment dumb money or what do you call the Anthony money? I don't think we could use those words in this podcast because no, it is pro- supposed to be clean. Not. Not. No. <laughs> uh, we'll leave it there for part two. We'll be back in a moment for part three.
Welcome back to part three of the Manchester is Red podcast. Now, Samuel, in terms of the Champions League hopes and what it actually means, the bottom of the group, Copenhagen and Galatasaray above them, Bayern Munich are obviously going to win um, the group. Galatasaray next, away it's Turkey. Uh, it's it's not that it doesn't look very good, does it? <laughs> to say the least. Yeah, it's, it's going to be an interesting trip. That one. Uh, it's a barefoot Galatasaray at best, best. and and they're, they're going to make it incredibly difficult. difficult. They're going to really fancy their chances when United for it. As as well they should as well. I mean, the best case scenario for United going into that game would have been they'd have been on six points and Galatasaray on four, and of course Galatasaray is still above them in the table so it's it's geared up for it Galatasaray I think will also hope expect Bayern Munich to ensure that Copenhagen don't win and that, that does them a favour so that can fuel them but just having United on home territory United have not won at Galatasaray they, they have won in Istanbul but They've never beaten Galatasaray there, and of course, it's you know it was November '93 when they they made that first infamous trip there, and it's 30 years on. So there's so much for Galatasaray fans to to lap up. I'm I'm sure maybe the the old timers are now in their 60s or 70s. They'll dust off their their old shirts and their placards saying "Welcome to Hell" and. Um, there'll be more banners for your match report, I think, uh, in a few I, weeks. Yeah, time. I think so. Yeah, me. I think there'll be there'll be uh, there might be more than just uh, banners uh, waiting for us in store out there. Some white flags from the away end. Yes, yeah, it's uh, it, that 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 I'm look, I'm I'm fascinated to see what it will be like. I've I've not been to Istanbul before, so um, just going to Istanbul, um, it's I'm very lucky to to be going there and just seeing what that's like. Never mind actually going to a to a football match there, and there's a hell of a lot riding on it as well. I mean, if United lose, they're out of the the Champions League, and I'd, I'd like to make it clear now to to United that as, as far as Champions League this group stage goes, please just finish finish fourth or finish second. Don't finish third. Well, I was about to come on to that. Why do you think that? Because I understand games, and well, you don't want to be in the Europa League. However, it does however, be Europa League playoff round again as well. More games like that I do get, but they're not going to get top four this season. You'd have to be well, mad they, they to think they do. are. You, 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 they might do. Well, the quirk, the quirk is that if they finish fifth, they would get Champions League on this and coefficient. And there's this, this, the coefficient That's thing true, as well. That's true, yeah, because so, the way it's And that would be the most United thing ever, to yeah. finish fifth. It's, it's Stumble so into it. But, yeah, but we also talk about this, this Champions League. Is, you're not, you're not, like, I understand from United's financial point of view why they need to finish in the top four. But it's almost like, why do you want to finish fourth just to get knocked out in the group stage next season anyway? I don't, that have, is... I don't have this faith they're going to do it anyway. Like Samuel said, the, the, the fourth would be better than I think with the, Europa League, goes, but... with, with the Europa League as well, like, in terms of why wouldn't they want to be in yeah. it? One, the they first... have won it. Two, um, it's it's just such a... It is a dire competition. You, you, when you go to the press conferences, sometimes you'd like United player just to be completely offended say like I don't want to be in this competition I don't want to be sat here talking to you on a Wednesday night I want to be playing on a Wednesday night like really really demean the competition nobody dreams of the Europa League theme tune exactly you know it's it, there is something really soul destroying about covering it even though it's got that carrot of if you win it you get well, into the, the Champions carrot. League and I think and that's going to be a, one. a very important carrot this season but it's also what even if they, the schedule I think even if they were to win it as well maybe I'm diminishing it slightly but like they always used to say about Solskjaer, he got to a European final. He did get to a European final, having gone out in the Champions League that season. Like the whole thing that they did really well to get to Europa League final, they they didn't. But they're out of the Carabao Cup. Are they really going to win the FA Cup when Manchester City and the like are in the competition? I have my doubts. I mean, obviously it's possible. Well, I, think, I think it's. But the Europa League is surely, <clears throat> pardon me, a more viable 
uh, route to silverware. Yeah, I, I don't think for one second Ten Hag is going to say, look, let's toss it off and ensure that we finish bottom of the group if we are to really bottom out here. But uh, I, I say it purely selfishly that you know that there is something quite mundane about the Europa League and it is demoralising it was you know, last season it was a bit different in that they, they got Barcelona in the uh, the, the playoff two fantastic we, games we, at that point you know the eyes of the world were genuinely fixated on the Europa League in February for the first time ever probably um, it's, it's very rare that you get such a such a pulsating um, draw in that competition at that stage, and and the games lived up to to billing as well. They were two really really um, memorable matches to to watch and to cover, but I, I suspect that was a, an 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 anomaly uh, last season. Nicely done, Simon. Good pronunciation there. And um, from one European giant in Barcelona, Richard, to an English giant in Luton Town, coming to Old Trafford on Saturday afternoon. I mean, they just got a draw against Liverpool, actually. Uh, they were well organised and they're quite Chong, good. Mengi. Yeah, the old back boys back together. United Ross lads. Barkley, Townsend. Menji was actually quite good. I don't know if you watched the game. Yeah, yes, yeah, he was, was quite sharp, yeah. so fair play. And it's nice to see him um, have a run without injury as well. He deserves a bit of luck. Um, it should be straightforward, though. Luton at home. You'd think so, wouldn't you? You'd think so. so anything else to add, Rich? Any more insight? Well, this is Manchester United. This is, this is Manchester the, the, United. The this is Manchester United. Yeah, but, but, you, but Luton at home is as easy as Crystal Palace at home after you've just beaten them in the League Cup. It's as easy as, what was it, two and a half years ago, Sheffield United at home, but United somehow lost. Oh, they lost that, yeah. yeah. United cannot have any complacency. Luton will be well up for this. Having just taken the point of Liverpool again that they could, and maybe feel they should have won as well. I know that they rode the luck at times and the goal right at the end will be kicking the teeth. But they'll be feeling so confident because they've proven that they can do it against a much better team than United and they could have won that game. They will go to Old Trafford and they will not be frightened anymore. United have already lost five games over the season, and four of those those they've conceded three goals. We saw what Forrest did. I know they're quite lucky when they took a two-goal lead early on, but any team will fancy their chances of scoring at Old Trafford right now, and United are a wounded beast, and the, the quirk of it all is United are still going to be heavy favourites to win on Saturday, so it is still a free hit for Luton. United just cannot have any complacency whatsoever. It's all those cliches. If you start as equals, you need to earn the right to, to play on that game. But, you know, if United aren't at 100%, then they'll be there for the taking. And if Luton can, you know, force an early corner, get an early chance, get the home crowd, who will already been protesting against the Glazers pre-match on the back of United players, then, you know, it's got the makings of another banana skin. But that says so much about United that, there's a, there's a fear about playing Luton at home, which, no disrespect to them, should be the uh, the biggest banker you could have in the season. But we saw it at Sheffield United away as well. Them, I know they've won since then, but they were arguably better against United than they were in that game against Wolves as well. So, you know, United had this ability of making it was never it a penalty team. against Wolves as no, well, was exactly. it? exactly. dreadful decision. In terms of changes then, quickly, um, would you like to see any uh, Varane maybe come back into the team? I know we've alluded to that. And I've just wrote my lunch piece, piece actually about Cobby Mania, who has now had a few games under his belt for the academy. And I think it's time, especially before the international break, it would be such a shame not to see him at this stage of the season if he doesn't play against Luton. I'm not saying start him because the, the did midfield not, was... Did, did he, you said he didn't train on Tuesday. He was with the under-19s, yeah. yeah. Right. So he, he played against Copenhagen in the 19s, 45 minutes. Right. Then he played against Salford when I was there. And then he played in the UFU yeah. League for 90 minutes as well. Um, which is a bit strange, I thought, actually, because Forsen was on the bench. But look, they're saying it's to carefully manage his minutes after injury. I would like to see him in some capacity towards the end You'd of the game. You'd want him on, in the squad uh, for, for this. And if, if they are somehow 
if the game is somehow boxed off with half an hour to go, then, then Bolmin send him off. But that's the other issue with United. They've had six wins in the league this season. They've all been by one goal. And the fact that we're even talking in somewhat pessimistic tones about the possibility of them the struggling maybe to us. beat Luton Town, who maybe the most ill-prepared team to ever get promoted to the Premier League, just just going off the um, just going off Kenilworth Road, uh, does not say it does not say very much at all about United and the, the place they're in at the moment. Um, I mean, in terms of change from the week, I, I, I probably wouldn't change. That much. I mean, Rashford obviously can play because his red card, that suspension only applies to to the Champions League. Um, that team worked though, Samuel, didn't it? For forty minutes, it, it yeah, was excellent. Yeah, so, so I, I suspect there won't be too many um, too many changes from from the team Ten Hag picked. Obviously, if Evans is injured, then Evans um, and, and can't make the game, then he comes out and logically Varane goes in, but maybe he'll go with, with Lindelof. But again, in terms of undermining Ten Hag's position, as we talked about earlier, if you're going back to a partnership that Ole Gunnar Solskjaer settled on more than four years ago, you are in a bit of a pickle. Ollie's at the wheel, put the contract on the table and sang it. Uh, Rich, before we go, do Wrexham allow Labradors into the stadium? Because Lu Luton Town do. Yeah, I don't believe so. I, one of my most depressing football moments was watching Wrexham against Luton Town, actually. Wow. We'd finished about 20 points above them in the league. Obviously, we got them in the playoff semi-final. Half an hour in, we're 3-0 down. Season right off. Wrexham just love conceding goals. Love the the goals. Even yeah. more porous than United, yeah. and that's saying something. Good times, good times. Uh, thank you very much, Rich and Samuel Field. Thank you, Stephen. Thank you very much. Thanks and thanks to listeners as usual. Head across and check out our social channels. Have a great weekend. Take care.